Everyone has a story, a story worth being told. This is Dara Jones, and welcome to Richland Treasures, where we learn the hidden stories, the hidden treasures of our faculty, staff, and students. Today, Dr. Clive Siegel continues his conversation about his upcoming new book, Ciboleros, and the surprising medieval methods Hispanic hunters used to hunt their buffaloes. Hispanic hunters relied on traditional weapons, uh, in particular, the lance. Uh, really? I yep. was thinking, surely a bow and arrow, but a lance? They did use bow and arrows. But, but uh, another part of my research seems to indicate, and this is a, this is a cultural preference. That's another thing. Uh, a, and when this, the Spanish, uh, since who knows when, since medieval times, I suppose, uh, had, there was a romance uh, involved in, in, in the lance as a weapon, uh, but a military weapon. Uh, and they, that simply translated to hunting as soon as possible. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, if you'd have handed a, uh, you know, a Siebel Arrow guy uh, a, mo- a good old modern 1800s Winchester rifle, they'd have used it. Surely, yes. But those things just weren't around. Uh, and so, so the default was... Uh, to using the lance and on horseback. This is not throwing the thing. This is running along like we think of medieval knights. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. Instead of banging away at each other, uh, just put them up, you know, put yourself on a horse, get about an eight-foot iron-tipped lance, uh, ride alongside the buffalo, lance it uh, like you, you know, at full speed, uh, and uh, and that and you've got the idea. And try not to knock yourself off the horse. Or be knocked off the horse by having the lance stick in the buffalo and carry you with it. Right. Uh, which was a <laughs> genuine peril. Did that happen? That yes, it did. But uh, the, by by the time that that really the the high point uh, of the C, of the Cibolero as as if you will, of a, a, you know, a hunting style, was about 100 years from about sev- the 17, early 1780s, give or take, uh, until the, the 1870s and almost the 1880s. Uh, and, and there, uh, that, was, that, was all, uh, that was all lance hunting, pretty much. Uh, w- some used a bow and arrow, uh, but, but the real, but bows and arrows versus lances there wasn't a romance to put the bow and arrow like there was the lance. Uh, and another thing is that the average Cibolero hunter versus the average guy that goes out in the caravan were two different people. The guys who were hunters were rock stars. They typically, in a village, because uh, these were largely village-based uh, or, or groups of villages that would go out together because there was strength in numbers and also efficiency in numbers. It took a guy who had a certain, uh, certain amount of prosperity to be able to afford a purpose-built horse for hunting. Now, it's one thing to have a plow horse or a mule, but we're talking about horses that were trained to hunt buffalo. Uh, and that's exactly what 
the the true cibolero part of this, the 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 hunter, the cazador, that's the guy that killed the buffalo. Everybody else, for every one guy with a lance and a trained horse, there were heck, there were five, six, ten, whatever behind him, cart owners, guys that could skin. Uh, etc. Just guys that did the grunt work. And so just almost like the Anglo hunting, hunting teams, uh, these were their own, these were Hispanic versions of them. Uh, these men who, who were the, the cazadores, uh, these guys uh, were, were in a class by themselves. And so the romance of being one of those guys, of be, you know, you're a hot shot and and it wasn't just young guys, uh, men of of who who could be known as a as a hunter as as a cazador, uh, also took on a certain mantle of of, of romance, but but also uh, of skill, and so there was a great prestige to this, and not everyone could be one, and most aspired. I mean, kids, I'm sure, aspired to be one. But, you know, there's a lot of a lot of distance between wishing mm. as a kid, like like you want to be an astronaut. OK, great. Uh, but but when it, the cut comes, there's just a few. Same with these guys. Uh, and uh, and and once you made a reputation for yourself, you also added status in the community. And so these men were seen as leaders. Uh, they were seen as men of skill. Uh, they were also, the, the, interestingly enough, uh, they were seen as men of honor uh, in in the mm. Hispanic uh, in the Hispanic cultural uh, interpretations of that kind of thing, uh, because obviously it took a lot of work. Uh, you know, you you had to know your stuff. Uh, you had to have a certain amount of bravery. Uh, because, but you really did, uh, because these things, y y your horse falls in a, you know, steps in a prairie dog hole and you're at full tilt in a, in a, you know, two, three hundred, uh, buffalo herd and you're hurled off and you're, you and your horse go down, you're toast. Uh, you best get up and start running. Uh, and so there was a danger to it. All the things that, that, you know, made you know, front for a frontier hero was there, uh, and so these men, uh, to a certain extent, uh, you know, and I, I tried my best as I did the study to find those men specifically by name, either by the fact that by looking back through the uh, the, the records, uh, their names popped up. What kind of records did you find? Legends and 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 things like that. Uh, his, Hispanic songs uh, from the era uh, celebrating certain people, uh, that kind of thing. Now, where in the world would you find that kind of song? It ain't easy. Uh, you just got it. I mean, this is not something you can do in a month or a week. Uh, it took years. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the songs, uh, of which there's many, uh, I mean, just like we have cowboy songs, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there they are. They're cowboy songs, and and so they talk about somebody, Windy Bill, or something like that. So the question is: Is there really a Windy Bill someplace? And what the heck, you know? Is it, so I would have to, I would have to kind of trace back the song uh, to find out using the census, the Spanish, and the Mexican, and the U.S. censuses, uh, you know, are available. I mean, in some form or another. 
some more complete than others. So what I did basically is I started looking, uh, for instance, uh, particularly beginning with the U.S. Census. Uh, so, so New Mexico becomes a territory. Uh, and as part, part of the U.S.-Mexican War, that's, you know, it's, it's added to the, to, to the United States. So then the, the next thing is, well, uh, we've got we to start counting people. Uh, and so the censuses are taken. The Spanish had taken censuses as well in the colonial period, and the Mexican government had taken censuses. But, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they are what they are. Some are complete, some are not. And so and so on. Some, you know, who knows where they went. Uh, but but the U.S. Census was good because it also, uh, you know, kind of came in at a time uh, when there were still plenty of buffalo herds. The 1850 and 1860 censuses, for instance. There was still uh, plenty of buffalo? There was still plenty of buffalo around. What happened that by 1870 it had really declined? Killed off. Was it from this group, or was it from the the Anglo no, hunters? No, no, it it was a it, it it was not from the New Mexican group, uh, because even though they they were not conservationists in the strictest sense of the word, I mean they went out to get buffalo. They didn't just go well. Uh, today we've gotten enough buffalo. We must let the rest of them, you know, prosper, grow. Nope. Some days they had good harvests and they got as many as they could. Some days they had poor harvests, but they weren't driven by a particular number except the fact they needed enough meat to get through the season. The commercial hunters on the other side of this, the Anglos, uh, not to to demonize them, uh, but that was a market hunting business. And they had high efficiency ways to harvest, and that was the largest single cause of, of the demise of the buffalo, was the constant pressure by commercial hunting, particularly in the, after the Civil War, uh, <clears throat> that began to harvest immense amounts of animals that eventually uh, simply tilted the thing towards and they're not exterminated, by the way. There's plenty of buffalo still around, but they came mighty close. Uh, it was the tremendous pressure of these commercial Anglo buffalo hunters uh, that put that were the greatest single drag on population, and eventually, uh, you know, it it drove them to near extinction. Uh, but the Hispanics, it's doubtful, given the type of hunting that they did. Uh, and the fact that it wasn't, it, it was seasonal, uh, it's doubtful they would have probably, uh, they would have probably stressed the herds to the point. And I might add the Indians were involved in this. We also of often think of the Indians as great ecologists. But the Indians, certainly in the upper Missouri areas and some of those places where there was an active fur trade, the Indians also knew that buffalo were money on the hoof. In this case, not money, but things like, you know, trade goods, uh, you know, the, the, a better way of life, firearms, all those things. I mean, Indians were a participant in this to a certain extent, uh, but to lay the blame on one group uh, is, not, is not exactly correct. By the 1860s and 70s, everybody was in the game. And uh, and so the pressure on the herds simply just pushed them uh, to to the point where their numbers just crashed. 
but uh, there's one of the things I tried to do in in this book uh, and the study is to figure out exactly what what volume of of buffalo hunting Hispanics actually did uh, because that would be a question well you know like these Anglo guys on a good day could kill f one hunter could kill 50 buffalo could have 50 buffalo on the ground uh, you know like what about these other guys I mean did they do that uh, and did they do it day after day or etc so the, the question would always come up exactly how many buffalo did they kill in a given season right it's almost impossible to figure out. It's more possible on the other side of the border, so to speak, because there were shipping records of all the hides and whatnot that went to factories in the east. So you can go, okay, so the, the railroad shipped X number of buffalo hides and tongues uh, to back east. Here it wasn't. They took them home and ate them. Uh, and so there it was, you know, who knows. But there's some there's some some instances where there's actually mention of, and this happens not during the Spanish period, but 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 more into the terri U.S. territorial period. Uh, there's some there's some inventories, for instance, of people. In one case, I have an inventory of a fellow who he 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 dies, and so they're inventorying his estate. He's a, he's he's an American, an, mm -hmm. an Anglo-American. Uh, but he's also in in the, a businessman, and so they inventory his stuff uh, for it because to probate his will and the rest of that. He had a lot of buffalo meat, uh, you know, thousands of pounds of it, and so you're thinking, well, if he had thousands of pounds of it, that's I mean, who else had thousands of pounds of it? But that's just like saying, uh, you know, one dealership, one car dealership sells a thousand cars in a year. So all the rest of the dealerships must sell at least a thousand cars. It's not very reliable. But there is some high vol. There's an indication that once in a while there's some high volume amounts of stuff. That's a lot around. of meat for yeah. one person. Here's what. Here's another thing. Pounds of meat in in the Cibolero term is pounds of dried meat, which means <coughs> which means that a great deal of its weight had already been taken out of it by drying it, which means it's really a lot of meat. If you plumped it back up with water, it's, it's more, considerably more. Uh, and so you have to kind of, you know, look at that. And, and one of the times, one of the few times I was actually able to, in the, in the 1700s, to be able to put an actual quantity on a given uh, amount of a hunt is a hunt went out of Santa Fe uh, and, uh, and it was recorded by the authorities. This hunt goes out, you know, because it's a lot of people and the Spanish are very, they're very much into record keeping and whatnot and so the, the, uh, a, an official records that these guys left. They, you know, I called it the Santa Fe, the capital S, capital F, capital Santa Fe hunt. They go out on the plains, and then they come back, and the guy records how much they 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 had taken. This is there's just a like a little passage in a ton of documents, and here it sits, uh, and it's it mentions how many cargas, which are are like cartloads uh, of of buffalo meat they brought back. 
uh, because it was a significant event in an otherwise pretty boring, probably, week or whatever. Right. So the officials, you know, records this. And they brought back some horses. They traded some horses with the Indians, but they'd taken this, beat, this meat themselves. It was a lot of meat because by the time, you know, by the time they, I, I had to take what, what, what passed for a cargo, like what was the average, there were a couple of, of figures that other scholars had done about about what a cart held. Uh, and so you have to kind of take that information, make a guess, uh, okay, there's there's three or four different estimates by by scholars about what the the the, the weight of a carga was because it was a unit of weight, uh, and and then I had to just make a call, uh, and then I had to multiply it times the carts, and then I had to add water to it <laughs> to come up with how many, and then I had to what divide it, it by how many pounds per yep gallon and, of water, and and and, and was like what was the average weight of a buffalo well then i had to think about that you know if you take the cows they're you know 800 pounds probably and the bulls they're a thousand to twelve so so i just had to come up with something you know and and assuming that most hunters kill would rather kill a cow than a bull uh because they're more tender uh that that you know by by default they they would rather do that they're going to take whatever they get but i mean if you were a good cibolero uh you could pretty much kill whichever one you wanted i mean if you if you really put your mind to it cuz you had the skill to get wage your way in there and target what you wanted uh but anyway it was a fair amount of meat i mean it was it was it, tons of meat uh by the time you plumped it back up with water so, uh, I mean, they were taking some pretty good, uh, I mean, if you're going to go out on the plains and be gone for a month or a month and a half, you better come back with something. And so they did. They took as much as they could. They filled as many of their carts as they could. Uh, and then they came back. So, you know, there it is. I mean, did they kill a lot of buffalo? Yeah, relatively speaking. Were there a lot of buffalo out on the plains? Yep, there were. Uh, but when you start peeling their hides off and killing them 50 at a time and you've got you've got crews you know arguably a couple of hundred crews out on the plains banging away day after day uh, on the on the eastern side of the herds then you know it's it's a contrast Mm -hmm. uh, in in hunting styles and it's a contrast in usage styles and it's a whole nother thing that I mean we know all about the hide men some of them were we're talking about the Anglos. Yeah. What the were some names? Guys. J. Wright Moore, uh, probably the, the, the largest single uh, uh, harvester uh, of buffalo, you know, among all of the hide men. Uh, Moore was an expert shot. Uh, he, um, you know, I mean, he killed thousands of buffalo. Uh, and, um, you know, people like that, uh, and, and those guys, and Moore was an interesting character because, um, you know, he, he was not only a buffalo hunter and a businessman, uh, but, uh, but he also was, became a, a pioneering figure. He didn't just take this stuff and leave, uh, when the, when the buffalo began to, you know, begin, began to diminish, he simply shifted his focused to something else, stayed in Texas and, you know, and, and stayed as a, as a settler. 
uh, you know, but there were others. And, um, and these guys, there's all kinds of them. Uh, John Cook, uh, and, 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 they, and some of them left. Um, Skelton Glenn. Some of these guys left records because they, they wrote about it. Some of them uh, eventually uh, grew to, um, you know, look back on the time uh, as you know, with mixed feelings, quite honestly. Uh, and uh, were they ab- later able to see that maybe they helped cause the demise? Oh, they they made no bones about it, uh, and and you know, and, and some of them thought, well, you know, that that was just the process of sett- settling. I mean, it's the march of civilization, etc. Uh, and others, you know, looked on it with a t- tinge of, of of regret, I suppose. Whether it was regret because they would have liked to have continued doing what oh, they did, yeah. or they looked back on it, you know. I mean, it's not up to me. And, and and believe me, you can read it any way you want. You can you can read these things and and uh, you know say, oh well, they were sorry, or you could read them and say, oh well, they just regretted they couldn't continue to bang away at this until they retired kind of thing or uh they 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 just regretted part of it uh mm-hmm. and so on uh it's not for us uh you know looking far far away from this yeah we don't know what their mindset we ain't in their shoes and and you know i'm sorry but we were not in their shoes and we were not sitting in that time period uh but uh, but anyway at the um uh, on the Hispanic side, you know, I kind of tried to search out what people, you know, like what they thought about. Because when the buffalo left uh, the the southern plains, which is where the most of this hunting was, in other words, Texas, uh, the Texas panhandle, uh, and then parts parts of the Oklahoma panhandle, and parts, you know, parts of, of Colorado and so on. I mean, where this, where what was known as the Southern Herd, uh, which was about five million individuals, uh, where the Southern Herd had largely been, and of course then disappeared. Uh, so I, I looked on the Spanish, the Hispanic side of this, the Cibolero side, uh, and to see whether I could find. And and one of the problems with doing that is, the the written record is slim. Hmm. Uh, there are unlike the Anglo side where there's a lot there's diaries and where guys wrote in some cases their their relatives or friends said you should write about this you you live through this you should write a book about this and guys like John Cook is a perfect example people were like you know you lived a life you know that's just like out of a storybook you need to write this and do it uh, and so he, he he eventually did but it was like 1905 by the time the thing ever came out. I mean, he just did it, you know, that way. That's not the case on the Hispanic side. Was there a literacy issue? There's a huge literacy issue. Uh, Most Hispanics during the period we're talking about were illiterate, Uh, and that was that. There's diaries are few and far between. Uh, A great deal of the description of how Cibolero's acted and dressed came from outside observers, i.e., uh, Anglo observers uh, who uh, who came in in the 1840s, 50s, 60s, in through there, uh, and who recorded this, or in the, or in the case of Cook, actually went out and hunted with them, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and so on. 
but most of them, you know, were observers, uh, you know, and and so you you had that problem. But that's not to say the Hispanic record wasn't rich because it was an oral history record. So uh, that's where the songs come the in. Songs, uh, the, the, the songs, poems, uh, legends that had been passed down through families and so on. I, I mean, I actually interviewed people whose relatives were Cibaleros. And, and, and it's kind of like anybody, any other group. You know, you're, let's say, you, by the time you get around to asking people about something, old folks in your family, you know, like, what did you do? What about World War II? Uh, yeah, nobody to ask them anything, you know, and mm-hmm. they, they aren't talking about it much unless they love these old war stories. And so, as a, look, it's the same thing on the, on the Hispanic side. People were either interested in their, their distant relatives or they weren't. They're just like everybody else. But where they are, they're just like anybody else. They, you know, Grandpa, tell me about uh, when you were a rancher, uh, you know, out on the New Mexican frontier. Tell us about that, you know. I mean, what was it like? I mean, there are people like that. Well, those people were the real keepers of the flames, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was lucky uh, to run across some of those. It takes a while to kind of get yourself, I mean, look, I'm coming from the outside. Uh, You know, I come to New Mexico uh, and, and, you know, I'm researching over there, I'm teaching over there, and so on, uh, but I'm an outsider. Uh, and, and, and so it takes a while to kind of get on the side to where people will trust you to talk about their relatives, uh, just like anybody else. Right. Uh, but, but, but luckily, I had people uh, who were generous enough uh, to do this, Samuel Gonzalez is one of you know he's one of my heroes in this thing. A man who, uh, you know, who kept all of the who all of the the stories from his family. Who, you know, was just steeped in the in the lore of things and the and and you know the stories of place and and, and an ancient family. You know, who'd been around a while, long enough for him to do this. Those kinds of people, uh, you know, are, I mean, they're like, they're, they're worth their weight in gold. And, and so I was lucky to have, find some of those people. Uh, but yeah, when I think about, you know, the topic of buffalo hunters, I think, wow, that's so long ago. Right. You know, we just can't know. But, you know, so this is a, like a neat surprise to hear that you can actually get with the descendants and the family and, put some of this back together and there's another thing and that is and this is something that that I, I found that was a surprise to me uh, and that was and but I, it shouldn't be a surprise because I don't care what what ethnic group or what whatever you are uh, this is all pretty much the same you're the same kind of phenomenon one of the problems that I found when I started initially asking about Cibolaros in the Hispanic community in New Mexico was that they frequently mistook them or conflated them to be Comancheros, which is another group of people. Join us next time on Richland Treasures when Dr. Siegel tells us about Comancheros and a case of mistaken identity. 
This is your host, Dara Jones. <laughs>